there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> Probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds. You're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean... Um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. Joining me this week, I have both halves of the Nebraska Shootaround podcast, Jacob Padilla and Jacob Bigelow. Jacob's, Jacob Squared, how are you? Either right. of you that wants to go first, go for it. Well, it's the... Uh first uh, day of the NCAA tournament uh, past the first four. So uh, I've got uh, John Tanjay in Colorado State and Baylor Shireman and Charlie Easley in South Dakota State on my TV. So I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, I can echo that same sentiment. Uh, Colorado State is trying to improve uh, the Friends of Jacob Bigelow record so far to two and one on the tournament. So uh, yeah, tuned in for, for a full day of basketball. Um, for Padilla, it, what, what's better for you? The first 48 hours of the NCAA tournament or Phoenix Suns playoff basketball, what's more enjoyable? <laughs> uh, well, um, it, it had been a very long time since I experienced the, 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 the latter. So, uh, I guess that one just because it is so unique and I get this every single year. Um, and also, uh, it, it is my team, and it was, I mean, obviously Creighton's going to be playing today, but um, yeah, it'd have to go with the Suns playoffs. But this is a, in terms of a just viewing experience, just sit down and watch games all day. Um, it, it's hard to beat this. It's incredible. Yeah, uh, Bigelow, I would ask like Kansas City Chiefs in the playoffs, but they're there every single year, so it's probably lost some of its luster, right? Um, no, it's just, it was just pain this year. So (laughs) it was just a roller coaster from like, that was the coolest thing ever to wow that hurt. And that still hurts. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, the tournament has been, it's been kind of my, my biggest sports thing since I was a little kid. And now it's, now it's even different, like having friends on different coaching staffs, like across the country and like, you know, the abundance of Nebraska kids that both me and, and, Padilla I've seen since high school, like playing on the tournament just makes it even cooler, I think. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I just realized I haven't had uh, contact with the Kansas City Chiefs fan to ask this question in a while, so I'm going to ask it. Oh, no. How, d- how did it feel to have basically an entire country turn against your team and your fan base, specifically because of one idiot on TikTok? Um, it was only a matter of time. Um, I think <laughs> the... See, here's the thing. I think like there's there's a majority of Chiefs fans who hate him too. So it's just like so it's just like, you know, was it a little over the top? A little bit. I think the stuff with uh with his with Pat's now wife was 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 worse. 
um like in terms of the reaction to it and the way like people were getting after on social media that was worse but i mean it was only a matter of time you know you know it's uh it's been it's been our it's you know these last four years compared to the previous 20 of being a chiefs fan um night and day is an understatement so (laughs) this is this is this is the life i live now (laughs) nice to be on top um so I have you guys on today. It's Thursday. We're recording at noon. The NCAA tournament has kicked off. Um, greatest 48 hours in sports. And so to culminate that, this like this, this return of such an incredible run of basketball, we're going to talk about Nebraska basketball. It's only fitting. We have to talk about Nebraska basketball. So I have two people on that are as knowledgeable on Nebraska basketball as Anyone that you will find, I mentioned it at the top. They have a podcast that you can subscribe to. Leave them a review. The Nebraska Shoot Around. Go find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, there was a little bit of breaking news about an hour before we started podcasting that Nebraska has parted ways with Matt Abdelmasi, assistant coach. He was kind of their lead recruiting guy. Um, I'm just going to kind of give you to the floor. I, I guess. Is there is there anything that you want to say about Nebraska parting ways with one of his one of its assistants? Um, any kind of context or analysis you want to add to this to this situation? The floor is yours. We can go for however long you want. We're going to get to grading the season and and anything else that you want to talk about in a minute. But Abdomasi, right now, floor is yours. Go. Well, first, uh, I, I guess originally, Derek, you wanted to record this podcast last week. Uh, I was a little bit busy. Uh, at the Nebraska State Basketball Tournament, covering 36 high school games in six days. Uh, so that was fun. And so not sleeping, worked, I assume. Yeah, yeah not much. But uh, <laughs> it worked out nicely. And the, the kind of having having this delayed a week gave us a little bit of news to discuss as well. But uh, Bigelow, you want to kind of lead off with, with your thoughts? You've obviously got uh, an anecdote if you wish to share it. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a significant change. I mean, this is, I mean, next year is going to be Fred's first year as a college coach without Matt Abbasi on his staff in some way, shape, or form. He was like the assistant to the director of ops when Fred first got to ISU in 2010, and he was an assistant from thereafter until he left for the Bulls. And obviously, he was the first guy here when Fred got to Nebraska. So, I mean, it's going to be it's going to be a pretty significant change. Uh, you have to assume that. This is probably part of what was agreed upon to bring Fred back another year was staff changes. I mean, we've, we've talked about it all year, you know, it's, it's becoming, it's, it's beyond groundhog day at this point, you know, it's the same blueprint as, uh, as football had to see, you know, the, for the, for the embattled head coach to come back, he has to fire his friends. um, And that has now happened in two sports. So. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't surprising. I think uh, we kind of knew this was probably going to be the route they were going. And we kind of discussed the the model that Hoiberg chose uh, to try again. Obviously, things worked out pretty well at Iowa State. Uh, They landed some really good players that fit what Hoiberg wanted to do, and he, he got those guys rolling. Fortunately, it didn't work to the same level at Nebraska. Just you look at these rosters the last few years and these guys, and Abdamasi is the one who was in charge of putting them together. And it just didn't fit. There were so many guys that didn't really match what, what Hoiberg wanted to do. And 
it, it, the result is the what twenty four and sixty seven record over the last three years, and he's a talent. I mean, he put together the the best recruiting class in program history with his first five star recruit this past season. But even with that, the, the roster as a whole, still there were just too many weaknesses, too many areas where guys overlapped in both strengths and weaknesses, and the result is ten and twenty two season where there was a lot of uh, excitement going into the year and they just couldn't find a way to, to get things done. And so I think changing the strategy was a move that he had to make. I, I do think you need to go more of the traditional route where it's all hands on deck and recruiting and all of your assistants are involved in scouting and decision-making and building those relationships, uh, like almost every other program does. And that just hasn't been the case in Nebraska. Largely, Abdamasi's basically been the general manager of the team. And you kind of look at it over the last three years, uh, or his first three seasons, he uh, brought in 10 high school recruits, 10 transfers from other four-year programs, and five junior college recruits. So 25 new scholarship players in, in three years. That's a lot. And again, they, they they were fond of the transfer portal and everybody's going to have to be moving forward, but uh, they just couldn't quite find the, the right guys uh, to, to make things click. And they couldn't build enough stability from year to year to kind of to build up some momentum. So um, I, I think a change was needed. Uh, I, I think Hoiberg needed to take a more active role in building his own rosters based on what we've seen the last three years. And, now I think this uh, signifies that he's planning to do that. Let me ask a quick question that will then be followed up by another, depending on your answer. The season that Alonzo Verge had for Nebraska this year, would you, like if you were charting it, would you would it be on the upswing as you get to the end of the season? You think he got better as the season progressed, got more comfortable as the season progressed? Yeah, um, I wrote about that actually in my Wednesday column. So you can go check that out on uh, my padding and stats column on hillvarsity.com. Uh, but he, he definitely got better and he came to Nebraska wanting to play point guard, but never having done it fully at the, the division level one level. He, he played alongside a ball dominant guard and Remy Martin at Arizona state. And w- when Nebraska lost out uh, on uh, Delano Banton, when he entered the draft early, they needed to go land a point guard. And they decided he was the best player that they could land. So um, they like, let's give this a shot. And Verge credited Hoiberg with his growth as a point guard throughout the season and kind of learning how to play the position. And you could see in the second half of the season, the decision-making improved. The understanding of what and how he should be playing uh, improved. It, it, I mean, it wasn't perfect. There, obviously, we saw at the end of that – the Northwestern game there, there were kind of reverted back to what had been the problem early on in the season. But you look at his numbers over the last nine games, and they were really, really good. Ended up leading the Big Ten in assists. Um, and he played a big part in them winning those games down the stretch, especially that Ohio State game. So, yes, he, he certainly got better throughout the season. And we saw when he was playing well how things clicked and, and how, hey, this actually can work. Um, it just took way too long for that to clicking to happen. 
Okay. So here's my main question for that. It, you it took way too long. So you also talk about 25 scholarship players in three years. Is that, is that just illustrative of, of what you're going to get when you try to build through the transfer portal, the way that they have, when you try to just piecemeal teams together each season, instead of having, you know, Ken Palm has the thing on his website, minutes continuity. I can't imagine Nebraska has a ton of that. <laughs> like, is that just, is that just what you're going to get? And if so, then do you think that with Fred going in a different direction for his sort of recruiting and then also with his, with his assistant staff, is that going to change? Is that approach going to change for them? You want to go first, Bigelow? Um, yeah. I mean, it's it, more likely than not. No, but I mean, in theory, you, you know, if you're, if, if I'm Fred, you know, in theory, especially going into what we have to presume is a make or break year, you have to assume they're not going, they're not looking for four year players like right now. They're not looking for high school guys. They're probably right back into, you know, all in on the portal, especially depending on, you know, especially with the news about, about Abdul Massey today. Does this recruiting class stay, you know, together? Um, all signs kind of point to Abdul Massey playing a, a key in landing, you know, all of the all of the guys in this recruiting class. Supposedly, him and Ramel Lloyd's dad like go way back, and he's like the the centerpiece of the class per se. So, you know, in theory, you know, a change in staff, you know, that's multiple multiple you know networks or plans of attack in the portal like instead of just having one that would probably be what what i'd see if i was fred i mean it obviously depends on who he brings in uh to fill the spots but you know every every assistant coach has their own network their own region where they're connected the best and their own set of relationships so i guess you know the better to have better to have three ways to attack recruiting than just one yeah. You make it and, a numbers game. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you you look at Iowa State. Obviously, the transfers kind of that that's what everybody refers to and thinks about with his Iowa State teams, and that was obviously a huge part of it. But he had some really darn good high school recruits that were part of that deal, uh, and they kind of played multiple seasons there. Um, so he meshed having that core of the high school guys you were developing with landing the right transfers and he had a really high hit rate in terms of guys that fit for him and the hit rate has not been the same at Nebraska and uh, part of that's probably it's harder at this point to recruit in the transfer portal because of the increased competition and obviously Nebraska's lack of history um, maybe they aren't they haven't been able to land the guys that they prioritize and would have wanted as those kind of transfers to build around that's kind of what we're gonna have to see moving forward is it and what I don't know and what we can't really know is how much of the last few years was Nebraska missing out on guys and how much of it was Nebraska picking the wrong guys. Um, were these simply the best guys they could get or were these the guys that they thought could work and just didn't? And so that's going to be kind of the key moving forward is, all right, with different set of eyes, different, different guys recruiting here, can you have a higher hit rate with the transfers that you do get? Because – yeah, the transfer, the option is always going to be there. That's They're going to continue to hit the transfer portal. Everybody is at this point. And this offseason in particular, uh, Bigelow mentioned, we don't know what this recruiting class is going to look like. As of now, it is three high school players and one JUCO player. And one of them is already on campus. I think Denim Dawson's probably good. Uh, redshirted this year and 
um, went through practices and stuff with the, the team. I think pretty sure uh, you can feel good about him being w- with the team next year. But beyond that, um, those other three guys are going to have to evaluate um, w- where they are and what, what they want to do. So we'll have to wait to see what happens there. But um, they're going to figure out, all right, who wants to come back of those guys that have eligibility and, and then move forward and try to fit uh, fill the holes on the roster. And most likely at this point, you're going to have to do that via the transfer portal because most of the high school guys uh, have been picked clean at this point. Most of the guys have already signed. So they're going to have to hit the portal hard for a couple key players, particularly they're going to have to replace uh, Verge's production and playmaking by the portal. And it's going to be incredibly important that they nail whoever it is that they choose. If, if uh, they got to make a decision, all right, who's we're going to go after and that's got to be the right guy. Uh, I mentioned it took way too long for things to click with Verge. They can't wait 28 games before they figure it out. Um, they, they've got to land a guy that can come in right away and elevate this team and, and play the way that Horvig wants to. And so that's going to that's gonna be the next step, all right? Solidify, all right, what is this recruiting staff going to be? Who are we going to have coming back? And then they got to go out and, and fill the whatever holes remain after that. One last question on this front, and then we'll move on. What is this? How does this impact, if at all, uh, Bryce McGowan's decision? I don't think it really does. I think he was gone no matter what. I agree. I agree. Um, I think any 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 thought of him coming back was was pretty wishful. Okie doke. All right, let's move on then. So you got you get you get one season with the only five star in program history. Nebraska won ten games, ten and twenty two, and they did play better down the stretch. Um, And obviously they had the two uh, top 25 wins over, over road opponents um, in Ohio state and Wisconsin to close out the regular season. And they lose to Northwestern in the big 10 tournament, 10 and 22. Jacob mentioned the record earlier. So 24 uh, and 67 in three years at the program. How would you grade this season? Because if you're just looking at win loss, he won the most games he's ever won as a Nebraska head coach. So we, we saw a little bit of improvement. How would you grade this season? Big little start with you. I mean, it's tough to not give it, to not give it, to not give it an F. Like I mean, on a good day, on a good day, maybe a D minus. I mean, it's, this was not, you know, this was not, um, you know, Jacob, you've written about this. You know, this was their year to, to show something, to, to show that there was, something to sell other than the allure of, of Fred Hoiberg. Um, you know, the recruiting class they brought in, the transfers they brought in, all of that combined. You know, if you want to, you know, if they want to recruit at a high level, there's got to be something to sell because, you know, going into year four under, under Hoiberg, you know, you can't, you can't talk about, you know, Iowa state teams from seven years ago, like much longer. Um, you can't talk about, you know, we would have gone far in the playoffs if John Rondo hadn't gotten hurt. Like, you know, he loves telling that story, but you know, you, you can't, you can't. It would have, I just want to say they would have, it would have happened, <laughs> but I, but I, I agree with your, your general. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they wanted to, you know, they're not going to get five stars year in year out, but if they were going to, you know, they bring in the first one in program history, you know, they obviously, they needed to show you know, what Nebraska basketball can be. 
and instead it was more of what Nebraska basketball has been for most of this century. Other Jacob, how would you grade this season? Do you agree? Yeah, I, I think it, yeah, I think it has to be, um, I mean, comparison to the previous two years, you could probably go with the D that there was some improvement and uh, for the first time for an extended stretch, it, and extended being about three and a half games. It looked like a Fred Hoiberg team. It looked like it was supposed to look um, that things were rolling. Guys were hitting shots. They were playing together, stretching out teams and attacking um, scrappy on defense. Like they, they look like a, a quality team, but again, it was a three and a half game stretch in a uh, what? 32 game season. Just not going to get it done. And like Biglow said, with the added expectations on this team and the added um, kind of ground to gain with this season, with um, kind of making the most of uh, the Bryce McGowan season of having a, a five-star bring in here and having him win all these freshmen of the week awards and leading the scoring or leading all freshmen nationally and scoring and all these sorts of things. Uh, that's something to sell but it's hard to sell that when it comes with 10 wins and um, a, a seller finish in, in the conference. And so this was supposed to be the year that, all right, they went out and added these pieces that will allow them to have success. They went out and added shooters to um, kind of create space and give guys like McGowan's and Verge and the other McGowan's room to, to attack the lane. And it just, it just didn't work. So this was a big missed opportunity to move the program forward. And instead of being a kind of a launching point, it's a kind of point where they have to restart now. Um, we, maybe, maybe Derek Walker comes back, but beyond that, like, I don't, you're not getting much in the way of significant contributors returning from this season. And I mean, C.J. Wilcher at eight, eight a game, like you shot really well from three, but eight points a game is your uh, outside of potentially Walker is probably going to be your most uh, experienced, significant contributor returning. So it's just going to be a, a completely different team next year. And I, I don't think you were able to uh, to use th that last recruiting class to roll forward into having another great recruiting class and landing another highly tattered recruit. Lloyd is a top 150 type of guy, but um, uh, but he wasn't not a five-star, not a top 50 type of guy. So um, it, it's just, it's got to be uh, an F. I mean, the result is Hoiberg having to give up money on his contract and change his recruiting staff. So I don't think you can view this season as anything but a failure. So they, one of the things you said, they brought in shooters. That was kind of the, the, the message coming out of the offseason. They brought in shooters to fix shooting. 2019-20 season, they shot 31.8% from three. 2020-2021 season, they shot 33.3% from three. They bring in shooters. This season, they shot 32% from three as a team, 265th in the country. So in three years, they've ranked 267th. They've ranked 194th. And they've ranked 265th. So, you know, in, in conversations that I had with Bill Moose, when we talk about basketball, he would almost always bring up like his 
stylistic preferences watching basketball, the way that he liked teams to play. And I don't get the sense from Trev that he's going to be someone that would dictate style of play, that would suggest style of play, that would even, that would even like, you know, make it seem like if you're talking to him, well, maybe is he suggesting this? Is this like what he wants? I just don't get that sense from Trev. So my question is, if, if Fred is left to his devices, like, like what do we make of the three-point shooting? Like, what do, what do we make of, of this deal? Is it, is it, do you, can we have any faith that it's going to get better at this point? I mean, cause they brought in guys and then those guys forgot how to shoot. And I yeah. like, as a, as a fan of the Oklahoma city thunder, I spent years, years hearing people talk about, I, we can teach them how to shoot. No, no, no. We can teach Andre Robertson how to shoot. And it just never happened. It never materialized. So like, do we, do, do we have faith that, that they're going to either a bring in shooters and those shooters are going to actually hit their shots or B they're going to be able to teach guys how to shoot. Cause that was one of the things that, that Fred also said early on was that they believed that they could teach shooting. Yeah. Um, well, the, the guy that's going to be identifying those shooters is, is no longer part of the picture moving forward. So okay. um, that could be part of it. Um, they're going to have, again, new evaluators, new eyes on the recruiting trail deciding, all right, who's, who's going to fill these roles. And um, I mean, they, they, they nailed it with CJ Wilcher. Um, he, every bit the shooter that they thought he was going to be ended up shooting 43% in conference play. Um, so that's at least one piece there that um, kind of hit in the way that they were hoping for. Um, they, they did start to shoot the ball a little bit better um, down the stretch of the season, but um, you had guys like, Latman and Kobe Webster and um, I mean Kobe got up to 36% but Latman was under 30% Kase Tomonaga right at 33% and that's supposed to he's got to be much better than that if he's going to play um, because of all his limitations elsewhere um, Wilhelm Breinbach was a guy that I wasn't as high on as a shooter as they seem to be just based on what I saw from him in high school thought there was some potential there but um, I, I think he was a ways off from being a a consistent thread at the college level. So um, we'll see kind of what this, what, what this next group, I mean, it's going to continue to be uh, a priority for Hoiberg to, to keep adding shooting. Like that's, they're, they're not going to dramatically change. I know Hoiberg talked about some tweaks he made throughout the season to his offense, but ultimately it's still going to be a Fred Hoiberg team. They're going to play the way that he knows. And so it's going to be important that they, they find guys that can, hit those shots, particularly if you're going to give up things in other areas. So like that, you look at this roster and something that Bigelow and I talked about throughout the season, there are just too many guys that were supposed to be shooters that were weak in other areas and that they didn't shoot well enough to, to overcome that. Latman, CJ Wilcher, Kobe Webster, Casey Tomonaga, um, even Bryce to a certain extent, obviously he brings a, a lot in other areas, but all those guys are slow footed perimeter defenders who are supposed to be shooters and they just didn't get enough shooting out of that group to offset whatever defensive and creation uh, liabilities that they had. So that's why those lineups with a lot of those guys didn't really work. And you saw them play much better once Trey McGowan got in there and 
um, kind of settled in and uh, readjusted to the speed of the game because a little bit more athleticism, guy that can get after it on defense, can get in the lane a little bit. Um, they just had too many guys that were spot up three point guys that weren't hitting high enough to to win that that battle. So um, it, it's going to be a key moving forward. They're going to have to hope that whoever they land um, c- can shoot it better than uh, the, this last group. Remember when Latman made eighty four of a hundred shots in a three point shooting drill? Remember how how far we, how far have we come from then? Not very far at all. But remember when that was? Remember when that was one of the biggest talking points around? I mean, that's that's got to be on the Mount Rushmore of 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 misses <laughs> of the of the. Oh, you, 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 let me tell you about this guy. He made he made eighty four of a hundred shots in a three point shooting drill. All right, well. <laughs> Well, and he even here we are. Can I can I interest you in some Ben Simmons off season practice footage? <laughs> well, even man, he did shoot thirty five percent last year and let him in threes made. Uh, so you figure, okay, that's decent start coming from JUCO level. Now, if you can build on that, they have a chance to be pretty decent. He did not build on that. He went the other direction. He only made twenty nine threes all season uh, in more games than last year. And I will, and, I, I will say, I, I will say, he came into this year hurt, and I don't think he ever got over that. And I think you could kind of see that in his shot. Like I don't think, like he came into the year with a bad back. And I think just the way he was moving on the court all year and his shot, I don't think he ever completely and totally got over that. And that, and you know, that might have played a factor, but but still, I mean, it's, you know, it's definitely that's. I mean, and, and he started every game that he played here. He started, he started every single game that he played in here for, cause he was just, he was just last year in this year. Right. So yeah, he started, yeah. he started two straight seasons of games and did he ever get better? I mean, that just, I mean, it's, it's the, there are three things that seem to be evergreen with this program, no matter who the coach is and it's questionable three point shooting. Where's a post presence and why don't guys get better? And I saw that firsthand for three seasons. And now, as a, even as an observer on the outside, it's even more prevalent. And it just seems like those three things are the evergreen questions surrounding Nebraska basketball. So I was looking at Ken Palm's adjusted offensive and defensive efficiencies. And I, I almost had to double take looking at last year's stuff. Nebraska ranked 40th Ken Palm adjusted defensive efficiency. Maybe I was looking at Nebraska Omaha, but I no. saw 40th. Oh, you weren't. Yeah. No, it's, it's 40th. Um, so they go from 152nd in 2019 to 40th in 2020. And then down to back back down to 172nd this season. So if you if you add in what they're what they're doing with rebounding, they have been over the last three years probably one of the 10 worst rebounding teams in college basketball, 349th out of 353 teams, three years ago, 349th out of 358 teams this season. So you, you, there's a, there's like a leap. They took a leap defensively. They did something right. I mean, to rank 40th in Ken Palm, you did something right, especially as a seven win team, but they're not rebounding the ball. So they were obviously doing something. And then they they take that step back this season. What happened defensively, and and 
you know, what has to change with the rebounding going forward? Well, it was a little bit of what I mentioned just a minute ago. Like they, this off season, they went out and decided, all right, we are going to get shooters. We're adding shooting to this team, uh, no matter the cost, whatever else that comes with it, we got to go out and get shooters. So they did that. They went out and got guys that were shooters that aren't strong defenders, um, that are smaller uh, positionally. And they, not only did they not get better, they got worse from three point and tailed off in the defense. I mean, you, again, I, there's how many, how many minutes did they play together with lineups where you had Kobe Webster and Bryce McGowan's and CJ Wiltshire and Latman uh, out, out there together, like lineups like that, where those are four slow perimeter defenders plus Derek Walker, and he can only do so much. So they kind of made the conscious decision. We're going to trade shooting for defense here and creation. And they, it ended up being a bad trade. They did not, uh, did, did not win that one. So that's, I, I think that's a huge part of the step back is just kind of the, the roster changes. They made it, they made with um, smaller guys that were more known for their shooting than anything else. Um, and we saw like, CJ Wiltshire played, I think, more of his minutes at the four than the three this season because obviously Wilhelm Breinbach getting hurt was part of that, but they just didn't have like Keon Edwards. They decided they couldn't play him. So you, you played a lot of four guard lineups this year and they played a lot of small wings where you've got Kobe and Verge out there together. You've got Casey Tomanaga out there with a Kobe or, or Verge. You're just smaller on the wings. So that's where the kind of the rebounding it wasn't all just big guys dominating walk or anything like that it was the wings crashing and rebounding over the top of nebraska's smaller wings or running past nebraska's smaller wings because they didn't box out so um that's i think those are kind of the, the source of those problems and the step steps back in those areas just based on the roster and the way that those guys played well, and the answer is not going to be, well, let's just go get longer guys. Let's just go get bigger guys who can still shoot the three or who can still kind of semi-shoot. Let's just go get bigger guys to help us rebounding. That's not going to be the answer because there are very few of those guys in the first place. And literally every single basketball coach in the country wants those dudes on their team. So like Jacob Bigelow, you're, you're running practice. What are you doing defensively? with drills what are you doing with rebounding is it just is it mentality with with a smaller guy to box oh, out absolutely absolutely you know it's all it's all mentality it's effort and it's and it, i mean it's got to be it's got to be something that's emphasized constantly in practice i mean you know i saw it for three years during my time with coach miles when he had a guy like jim molinari on staff who didn't really have any other i mean he scouted but his main his main job was half an hour a day at practice of defensive drills. And that was, you know, that was a point of emphasis every single day was defending, defending without fouling also, you know, all sorts of rebounding, you know, it's, it was drilled into those guys every single day. And you know, that was one, that was a, con a constant, you know, miles talking point was, you know, people want to, people want to talk about our offense, but our defense is going to, is going to lead to good offense. And in a, you know, for a coach like Fred, who, you know, is, you know, 
offense, 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 offense. You know, I, I said this in the first game of the year when, you know, they got out-rebounded and lost to Western Illinois was rebounding and defense are a key to good offense because I think one of the best things I've heard recently was someone say that a defensive rebound is the first pass in a tra- in transition. It's the first, it's the first pass you make in a fast break in transition, especially to run an offense like Fred wants to run. And if you can get your guards to rebound, it just, it helps everything. I mean, this is why, like, sorry, not to, to localize this. I'm sure you guys probably don't like him very much, but this is why like Russell Westbrook was so fun to watch. Like he'd get the rebound and your offense was instantly set up. If you got a guy that can hit the kick ahead pass and you've got a guy that is an active participant in rebounding on the defensive end, you set up your offense. You can get better looks. You can get easier looks. You can get quicker looks like it's just, you know, it's it's one of those things. I'll be curious to see how it goes, because you can't be. I mean, they go ahead, Jacob. Well, Delano Banton did that for them last year. That was a big part of it. His ability to rebound and immediately trigger the break was a huge part. And defensively, like he wasn't a great one on one defender, but he was so long and active back there. He went in, got rebounds. He got deflections. He got steals. He got weak side blocks like having that kind of. Uh, Swiss Army knife piece in the lineup was was a big part of their success uh, on defense and ability to trigger the break and, and play with tempo. And losing him, now you're going with smaller guys out there. You know, 190th in Kampom adjusted offensive efficiency three years ago, 179th two years ago, 120th this past season. It made progress. Does it feel like progress? They made statistical progress offensively. Does it feel like progress? Yeah. In certain areas, they they definitely got better inside the arc, and that's the biggest thing. They were t- they were ninety seventh in, in two point percentage this year. Um, obviously, that was the. I mean, you go back to that first two years, like th- those teams played like Hoiberg one play Raymond threes, very little mid range, but they couldn't finish at the rim, and obviously they couldn't shoot. So they were getting the shots, the kind of shots they wanted, or at least shots from the areas that they wanted, but they weren't talented enough to, to make them. And this year they were a little, obviously Derek Walker, the leap that he made uh, has been huge was a huge part of that. His ability to finish around the basket, obviously Bryce McGowan's did some special stuff going to the rim. Um, and so they made some progress in that area they they were taking better shots around the basket outside of verge kind of some of his um but ultimately it wasn't enough to 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 get the wins but there is i mean you look at the roster is talented there are some better players on this team there just weren't uh it, it just didn't come together as a whole um again there were just too many weak spots to field a a winning team but they, 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 they have made some progress in, in certain areas. Uh, but it, again, it just wasn't enough to, to ultimately mean anything. Who, let me ask you one more question. I'll let you guys get out of here. I'll let you get back to, to conference tournament, or not conference, NCAA tournament viewing. Who are your final four teams? Bigelow? Um, let me double check because I – like everyone should only made one bracket this year me too first time only made one i I got yelled at (laughs) for not making multiple and i was like i'm just gonna give you the exact same bracket three different times 
Yeah, I only did one this year. My final four was Gonzaga, Kentucky, Arizona, and Kansas. Definitely feel the most uneasy about Kansas. And then I have Arizona defeating Gonzaga in a classic student beats teacher scenario for the national championship. So same, but the opposite. Yeah, same, but the opposite for the final. Gonzaga's got to win it eventually, right? It's going to happen at some point. See, something I've heard people say recently is that if Gonzaga wins a national championship, and especially if they beat Duke in route to get to the Final Four, that that is Coach K passing the torch to Gonzaga to be the new Duke, and that they'll go from the lovable, plucky underdog to now that they've won, everybody hates Gonzaga. So I don't know. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. We'll we'll just have to see. Um, I, I mean – Drew Timmy doesn't get another 10 years of eligibility, right? I mean, he's about the only thing that I think most people find dislikable on that team, right? Yeah. Yeah, probably. That's just, you know, there's plenty of interesting takes out there in the ether this time of year. Um, I do have a question for you, Jacob, since this has happened since since we've recorded, and maybe we can end on it. Um, Sam Griesel. Would that be a name to watch in the transfer portal for Husker basketball fans? Uh, I believe, I mean, I think many schools have already reached out to him, including Nebraska and Creighton. So both local schools here are um, looking to get in the mix with the, the, the Lincoln East uh, product, who is he's strongly considering professional opportunities as well it's not it's not a given that he's going to go transfer somewhere and play another season i think he's kind of leaving all doors open at this point he does have uh german citizenship i believe um so uh, could easily head overseas and start making uh, a nice little uh, living over there playing the game but um i think just by the amount of teams that immediately jumped into the mix he's going to have some pretty good options to, to play another year of college basketball as well and I think Nebraska would love to have him. He, he did make a leap uh, last year from where he was as a junior, shot the ball much better, um, and kind of turned into a dude that was big in the clutch and made some big buckets for them down the stretch. I think he, he would fit in well into what Horberg wants to do in a kind of Banton-type role where uh, maybe he's not the kind of every play point guard uh, kind of run everything, but he is a big playmaking wing um, that, that can help you kind of run your offense. So I, I, I don't know that like you, if they were lucky enough to add Greaso, I don't know. It's like, okay, we got our point guard. Um, now let's figure something out. I still think you have to kind of keep uh, focusing on that position and kind of improving just kind of the overall leadership and, uh, understanding and setting up guys and running offense type of thing, but Greaso is would definitely be a great addition if they can land him. Okay. I've, uh, by the way, I feel good picking Arizona and Gonzaga in uh, my national championship, given what you guys just said. I do have, <laughs> I do they have look- UCLA yeah. over Kentucky and, and to go to the Final Four though. Um. Is it a get? I can com- I can confidently say this because Duke will not have played by the time this podcast is released. Is, is it a given that they make it out of the first weekend? You see, I think it is, um, just because 
I mean, I know everyone that I know there are a lot of people who, you know, want Izzo to knock him out like they did in 2019 with the Zion RJ team. But I think there's a good chance Michigan State loses. That's yeah, I was just about to say, is it is it a given that Michigan State is playing them? Yeah, but I just don't think like I don't think Coach I don't think Duke loses to Davidson. Like I know they've there've been some questionable results, you know, for Duke in the tournament over the years. But I thought I don't think Davidson is going to be the team that ends Coach K personally. I just I just wonder, it, maybe not even like matchups. Like I just wonder what it must feel like to be Coach K's last tournament team, and the kind of pressure that that brings with it. Like I I I was I was floored that they lost the way that they did to North Carolina in his last home game. Um, so I would just ask about like what. You know, we're gonna find out pretty quickly how how much pressure that team is feeling. Uh, yeah, as his last ultimately, tournament. yeah, ultimately, I think their point guard problems are gonna keep them back from making a deep run. But I also think they're too talented to for that to knock them out in the first or second round. Yeah, that's fair, especially if they get Davidson because it'll be Cal State Fullerton and Davidson, and you know something has to go drastically wrong for them to lose. Um, I'll let you guys get back to tournament viewing thank you so much for for peeling yourselves away for however long this was um it's good to talk to both of you oh, i appreciate the invite derek thanks for having me man yeah. thanks for having us of course it was fun like i said in the beginning subscribe to their podcast Nebraska shoot around um shouts to you guys for listening every week shouts to cam for producing this episode and we will be back next week thanks guys Hoda Media Production.